Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open your Bible to the book of Ezra. We're in the Old Testament, Ezra chapter 5 and chapter 6. And while you're going there, uh, as I said earlier, we are uh, coming back into a different culture again, back in America. And it was a little different in Africa. And so I really would like to have one of our uh, African or one of our mission team members to come stand next to me while I preach. Because I had translators every time we talked, Kelly. And so it was uh, a little different. And a couple, a couple times, we had multiple translators now that's hard. Like you, you preach and then two other people translate to different languages for you. And it's like, y'all know me, I'm like attention deficit oh shiny. Like, you know, you know, and you know how hard that is? Like it's like you're you preaching, you get into the thought, and then you say something, and then you it feels like five minutes before you get to say your next thought, you know, and so whew, that was hard. Uh, so we learned we learned some things about uh, that. We also learned that, and I just want to tell you, we're gonna have a time of sharing uh, in a few weeks about our Africa trip. Uh, but one other thing that's noteworthy that worship was a little different in Africa. It's like techno, like they have a keyboard, like you guys would love this. Like if, especially if you grew up back in the, the 70s or whatnot, you'd be like, yeah. I mean, like it's like like that techno going on, and they got a lot of dance and stuff. Baptists got it really uncomfortable for a while. Okay, I gotta tell you. This Baptist boy, like, what's happening up in here? And so they get into it after a while, and y'all know where I'm going with that, right? And then there's these, the, <laughs> there's these ladies in Africa that get into it. I mean, like, they, they really get into it. And they have what we, what we deem as the African Yelp, okay? And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to model that for you, okay? And then you guys, this is not speaking in tongues. There's no need for an interpreter, okay? This is just African culture, okay? Y'all with me? Y'all with me? All right. So they get into it, and after a while, they go, la, 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 So they go, they go, okay, and after, after a while, okay, so this is going on, and, and, and y'all, I got to tell you, I'm so bad just that when I clap, it looks like I'm trying to kill a fly, okay, it's like, you know, I, I have no rhythm, and, and all this stuff going on, and I got to tell you, I'm looking around like, what's happening? <laughs> what is happening up in here? But uh, praise God, I'm telling you, worship is powerful no matter where you're from, and uh, it was spiritual, it was, it was personal. And people reflected the holiness of God and the goodness of Christ. And uh, that's powerful. And so uh, as much as I missed, uh, missed you last week, Byron, thank you for filling the pulpit. Uh, it was good to be in Africa to worship with our brothers and sisters in Uganda. And now it's good to be home to drink Dr. Pepper and spend, more importantly, spend time with my wife and kids. That's more important than Dr. Pepper, just for the record, okay? Uh, but it's good to be back with you guys uh, as well. Uh, we're picking back up in a series, uh, and we've been with Life After Exile series, and over the next uh, now 12 or 13 more weeks of the series, we're looking at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we're looking how God has taken the nation of Israel, who has been through a lot, much of which is their own fault. Y'all ever with me? Like, because our sin has consequences, and uh, we've all fallen short, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin has dramatic consequences on our life, and it isolates us from God and often other people. And we feel like we get in this position called exile, right? Like we're distant from God. We know something's wrong. And that leads to what we, we, call, we, term, we term as brokenness. Now we talked about this word a little bit this week as we're in Africa. Brokenness is kind of a cultural word right now. It's kind of a loose terminology word that we try to cover up the word sin. And we just say we're broken. But I want you to make this very clear. The, the brokenness we're talking about in this series is a brokenness that is a result of sin. Okay? Y'all with me? A brokenness that is a result of sin, either directly or indirectly, okay? I think about it this way. All of creation has been subjected to depravity, subjected to the consequences of the fallen state of mankind, okay? 
That's, that's why we, we have sickness in this world. That's why COVID-19 is a variable in this world, because we live in a fallen state. So even our trials, even our struggles in our life are a result in some direct or indirect result of sin. So when brokenness is used right now in the series, no, we're not covering up sin. That's what we are. We're broken because of our sin. I gave a definition of exile that I want to remind you of. Exile is the state of being barred from your, your natural, natural country, your native country, as typically, I mean, politically, for political or punitive reasons, but I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually, it's a state of brokenness as a result of deep trial or consequence, again, of sin leading to an estrangement with God and or others. That's where the nation of Israel is at in our text in Ezra and Nehemiah. Israel has, has, has broken the covenant, look at the Old Testament covenant. They have committed idolatry. The, the law of God has been compromised. And because of that rebellion against God, God has in his sovereignty ordained two other people groups to come in and conquer the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, now as a divided kingdom, and has deported them off into Babylon now. In Babylon, the nation of Israel sits waiting for God to restore them back to this, this covenant relationship and this covenant land, but they have to wait 70 years. You know that 70 years, God raises, this is what's remarkable about God. God can use even bad leadership, pagan leadership, to accomplish his good purposes. Amen? This is why we can look at what's going on in our country right now and not sweat it. Amen? This is why we can say that God is still completely on his throne. He has not abdicated his throne, not for one stinking second, okay? Because if he could take a king like the, the Babylonian kings and the Assyrian kings, and he could take rulers that we see played out in the Roman Empire, and he could somehow use them to accomplish his providential purposes, then it's going to be all gravy, baby, okay? Amen, right? Because God's still working his purpose. So there's this moment, a huge moment comes up. And Jeremiah predicted it, and, and Daniel found the copy of Jeremiah and realized it. And Daniel said it was going to happen. And so there's this beautiful moment where there's this, this edict of Cyrus that happens. And, and now this, this Persian king, who's now sitting on the throne, not Babylon, because Babylon's now been, been taken over by Persia. This Persian king says, it's time to send everybody back home from Babylon. Can you imagine if you're, if you're a Jew and you're like, you've been, your family's been gone. You may not have even uh, been raised back, back in Israel, back in Judah, right? But your, your parents were, your grandparents were, and you long to go back to that. And now they say, hey, you can go home. And so what happens is they start going, going home. The numbers are different based upon the study, but at least 42,000 Jews come back from Babylon back to Judah, and they come back in different ways, and they, they come, first of all, to, to build the temple. And we began talking about that a couple weeks ago, how they get together, and they start. It took two long years just to build the foundation of the temple, okay? I mean, they, they took the, the, the scenic route in building the foundation, okay? It wasn't fast. They, they don't work like a lot of us try to work. We work fast, right? Like, I want to get the job done, amen? If I'm working on a project, let's just get it done and get it over with, Amen? right? They took the scenic route, two years to build the foundation. And then as we talked two weeks ago, there was this, this stoppage, work stoppage, because there was division and there was, there was people on the outside that were trying to get them to stop the work, right? And so for about 14, 15, 16 years, the temple project just paused because of fear, because of distraction. And let's just be honest, because of sin, Right? That's where we find ourselves in the text this, this morning. Now, I want to I get you back to the context of the people we're talking about here. Okay? Back in, in, in Judah, 
The exiles are coming home. Y'all with me? Y'all good? Right? I still think I need a translator this morning. Casey, you up here? You want to come up? Okay. Uh, the, the people are coming back, but the people who've been there, the Jews who were left, but also uh, the Jews who intermarried with the Assyrians or other Canaanites were called Samaritans. You've heard of Samaritans before, right? Over, over the course of hundreds of years, the division between the Samaritans and, and, and Jews or devout Jews became bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why when you get to John chapter 4, you may remember John chapter 4, there's this moment where Jesus sits down at the well. Y'all remember that story? That was a Samaritan woman. And there's a, there's a conversation there about worship. And, and she says, she, she calls Jesus, you're a Jew, and I, you know, I'm a Samaritan. My people say that we worship here on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is where the traditional Samaritan place of worship was. By the way, it wasn't exactly uh, strict Judaism at that point because there was so many compromises there. But but we're supposed to we're supposed to marry or we're supposed to marry we're supposed to worship here at Mount Gerizim. Your people say over in the temple, and Jesus said, "Oh, you've missed it. Doesn't matter exactly where you worship. What matters is that you worship completely, fully devoted Yahweh God. Amen. Right? And then Jesus points her eyes right to himself. He says, "You know, really, there's the day coming." And now is that you will realize uh, the object of your worship, the position and place of your worship doesn't matter. You need to look at the person of your worship, and I am he. And it changes her life. And she runs back and she tells her community, this is the people group, the Samaritans that we're talking about. That's the opposition in Ezra and Nehemiah. This is what has literally stalled the work that is going on in this moment. Ezra chapter 5 now. I want to pick back up in the story. So if you've got a Bible, grab a Bible. Open your Bible up. Teenagers, no, t- no cell phones. Put your cell phones up, Olivia. All right? And we're going to look straight into God's Word today. Now, if you're at home, grab, grab a Bible and grab a pen and paper. Hey, you're, I'm sorry, Olivia. Like, she's looking at me right now. She's taking, okay. Sure, right? Speaking of notes, in your, in your row, there is a worship guide. You can take some notes there, Olivia. Okay? You can use that as well. <laughs> Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, if you have a Bible. It's too easy. Now, the prophets, now this is really important, okay? I want to bring you in because I'm a preacher, man. Like this, the prophets were like Old Testament preachers, okay? They spoke the word of God, and they often spoke on behalf of God because the canon wasn't closed yet. So the Holy Spirit of God would, would direct them to speak to the people, right? So we're talking about the word of God, and that's the message, the ministry of the prophets. The prophets, specifically two of them, which you find in your Bible, one of the, the hard things about studying Scripture sometimes is, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, is we try to read it chronologically, and we think, well, we've got this. But sometimes the Old Testament books don't line up chronologically. You get it from different perspectives. And then you get the stories, which we're reading in Ezra and Nehemiah, but you also got prophets who are ministering the same, and their counterparts to Ezra and Nehemiah, namely Haggai and Zechariah. Zechariah. They are, they, are, they are contemporaries of Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? And so we get a, a, a message of Haggai and Zechariah. They're going to speak to the people here in Jerusalem. Now, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, they prophesied. They, they preached to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. And they preached not, this is really important, not in their name, not, a, not an idea they, they had, but they preached in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. They're, they're, Hear me out. There are two types of preaching today. Two types of preaching. There is preaching on behalf of the preacher, and there is preaching for the glory of God. You see it? There is preaching who is opinion and political correctness, and it's really about self-centeredness in the kingdom of the preacher. And then there is preaching for the glory of God, which is the full counsel of Scripture. Amen? These guys weren't preaching their opinion. 
They were preaching the word of God in the name of the Lord God of, of Israel who was over them, okay? And they're about, with, they're about to take the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God given to them, and they're about to motivate the people, listen carefully, to get back to work, right? I mean, 14, 15 years, the temple project is just stopped. And all of a sudden, preachers get up and say, you know what? This is wrong. We, whatever reason, we got distracted. We started building our own houses. We started worrying about our own stuff. And yet, God gave us a project to do, and we have been neglecting the project. Okay? So they began to preach. And Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, verse 2, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Like they were encouraging them. One of the things about uh, preaching to me is you want to preach the, counsel, the full counsel of God's word. I want to give you the biblical truths. I want to give you uh, the principles of scripture, right? Not just information, but I also want to encourage you. I see that. They're, they're encouraging the people. Like God gave you something to do, brothers and sisters. Then, then do it. Don't delay anymore. Okay, so I, I was reading this and I was like, you know what? So what exactly did Haggai say? Thankfully, we have the exact message. If you have your Bible, flip over to Haggai chapter 1. It's like the third uh, book from the end of the Old Testament, Haggai chapter 1. We get exactly the words in this moment mentioned in Ezra chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Haggai. It's a great book. You don't really study from Haggai very often. Haggai chapter 1. And here's the message. Verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read it to you. Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius the king, not the same king, that was Cyrus, Cyrus Persian king is dead. Now we got a new king, Darius. The sixth month, on the first day of the, of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. You just heard all these names. Same historical setting, okay? The governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And here's, here it is, verse 2. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So the people are saying in Jerusalem, well, really God, God wants us to take a break, right? It's like a government job, right? We got 10 people watching and one person working. Well, we, I think we just need to take a break, right? Amen. You know it's true. Verse 3. Then the word of the, of the Lord came by the hand of the Haggai, the prophet. So the people say this, but this is what God says. It is time, verse 4, it is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? It's like, like you, you are working on your own houses and you're trying to get your own self comfortable, but God's giving you a task to rebuild the temple, right? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about it. Do a, do a spiritual inventory. Are you being obedient to what God sent you back to Jerusalem to do? Ooh. Or are we just being comfortable taking care of our kingdom? The application to the church is so, so profound here. We don't have time. That's a whole other sermon itself. But Verse 6, you have so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages and not so puts them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here, here it is. Consider your ways. Think about it. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house of the Lord that I may take pleasure in it. And here it is, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And that's, that's really the bottom line. 
Like God gives the, the task, and he says, I expect you to do it. And any delay really pulls away from the glory of God because God is most glorified in us when we're obedient to him. Amen? When we're walking in obedience to his word, God is glorified in that. And any, any division from that, any detour from that, God is not glorified in our life. And so what the preacher, what Haggai does, Zechariah, we, we have time, we go to Zechariah too, same text. Zechariah says the same thing, guys, get with it. God has given you a task, and this little 14, 15-year delay is you guys are disobedient to the task. Go rebuild the temple. And preach, preacher, right? Number one, you worship God. If you have worship God. If you don't, you can look around there at the end of the, of the rows and help pass them down, people, as well. Be nice to each other, okay? Number one. The word of God should motivate us to faithful obedience to God's will. The word of God should motivate us to be faithfully obedient to God's will for our life. This, this is why you need to read the scriptures every day. How do I know God's will for my life? You cannot discover God's will for your life unless you understand and you study God's word. You cannot come to the preacher or to your Sunday school teacher once a week and think you can get enough to understand the full will of God for your life. You must pour into it yourself, church. What we need today is a hunger for God's word, to study God's word, not, not, not to come to the church needing 10 steps to how to live a happy life, but to look at God's word and say, what, is, what does it mean for me to live a holy life? An obedient life to you. The word of God should motivate us to that faithful obedience. And that's really all, that's, this is a simple task. That's all the preacher does on Sunday. That's my job. I'm supposed to remind you of what God has already said. Am I right? To remind you of what God has already said and then allow the Holy Spirit of God to take his word and motivate you to do what you're supposed to do anyway. Amen? The church don't need any more eloquent preachers who are coming up with new stuff. We just need to go back to the, the real stuff. The substance, not a substitute. Come on now. David Platt says this. If we want to know the glory of God, if you want to experience the beauty of God, and if you want to use by the hand of God, then we must live in the word of God. Live there. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you hunger for God's word? Like, do you, do you, you hunger for it? I just got to have a word from the Lord. I got to have a word from the Lord. So you open your Bible and you pour to God, show me something. We don't do that enough. And we wonder why our, 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 our church cultures in America and, and all over the world are dry. Because we haven't been coming to the fountain. It's available, but we, we stay away from it. Maybe because we're afraid of it. Maybe because it will convict us of our, of our sin. Back to Ezra chapter 5, verse 3. Yeah, I'm going to preach for a little bit longer today. Hang in there. I promise I won't be too, too late, but I want you to hang in there and see the text, okay? Ezra chapter 5, verse 3. At the same time, Tatanea, the governor of the province beyond the river, I love these names, and Shethar Bozene, I'll just say that. I don't know if that was her name. And their associates, they came to them, and they spoke to them, saying thus. So again, so, so the, the projects are like getting back started. The people are getting motivated to start building now. And by the way, they built quickly to, to get the temple finished. You're going to see that in the next chapter in just a minute. We're not going to read all the scriptures there, because I realize you do want to be out, and there's a, like, there's a football game today or something like that, right? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so you may want to do that. I don't know. But 
I won't, I won't preach till that, that long, right? But, the, but there's still people trying to stop the word. That's my point. Like, wait, 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 wait. Why, why are you starting to build again? Whoa, 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 we, we established this 15 years ago. You remember that? Stop the project. You need to stop all that because it may look bad over there in Persia and Babylon and the, the new, new king over there. It may, like, you know, it may not be a good thing, so just stop. And so they start causing trouble yet again. It's these people. And they say, who gave you the decree to build this house and finish the structure? Who gave you the audacity to obey God? <laughs> Ooh. Verse 4, and they also asked him this, what are the names of the men who are building this temple? Like, we want to get documented, like, which one of y'all are leading this little rebellion, right? Some of y'all be like, I don't, don't put my name down. I'm just, I'm just spunky enough, I bet, put my name down, I don't care. Put my name down, one of those people who will be obedient to God. Verse 5, this is beautiful. But the eye of their God, Yahweh, was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them. So the, so the naysayers on the outside, Samaritans and others trying to stop the work. But they said, you know what? We're going to, this time, instead of stopping and being distracted, we're going to push through, and we're going to be obedient to it, and they're going to finish what God had called them to finish. Did not stop the work this time. Until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So what they really wanted to do was make them stop, send, the, send a report to Darius to see what Darius said about it. Because he's, remember, he's a new leader now. Cyrus is gone. And just, just stop the project while it's going. And they said, no, we're going to continue working. We're going to continue working. Can I, can I preach for a second real quick? Last two years, is this not the struggle between the church and the culture? The culture says, church, Stop. I'm not talking about health. But isn't this what culture wants, the enemy wants? Church, stop, stop doing that. We'll see if we can get permission to do that. No, no, no. And the church says, no, no, no. God has called us to be the people, the bride of Christ. We will continue being the church. If we have to do it in different ways, we're going to continue being the church. But we're not going to stop the great commission for nobody. Nobody. Careful. Be careful when you get in opposition to the clear, explicit commands of the Word of God. Number two, it is a foolish, dangerous predicament to be found opposing the Lord. It's a fool's errand. These adversaries to the Jews rebuilding the temple were incredibly foolish. To oppose God, it reminds me of, of what took place back in the days of Jesus as as. Uh, as the church has started, and Peter and John are preaching, and they get arrested multiple times, right? At one point in Acts chapter 5, they're having a little a powwow. The Jews are having a powwow. Like, how do we stop this thing called Christianity? And they're like, do we, do we just need to tell them no longer to do anything? We're going we're to stop it. And, and Gamaliel, who is the chief religious leader of his day, in Acts chapter 5, verse 39, makes this really profound statement. He says this to his counterparts, Jewish counterparts. He says, but if it is of God... The gospel is of God. The story of Jesus is of God. You will not be able to overthrow them, a.k.a. you can't stop it. You can't stop it. It's foolish to try to step in the way between God and his will. Foolish. You might even be a found opposing God, Gamaliel says. Little did Gamaliel know exactly what he was saying. I don't think Gamaliel was a Christian by no means. But I think that he had at least a little bit of holy reverent fear. 
He didn't want to find himself opposing God. It's foolish to be found in that predicament. One commentator, James Hamilton, says this. There'll always be those who attempt to bully Bible-believing people into political correctness. There'll always be people who try to bully the church and stop being the church. Well, I'm just getting old enough now, y'all. I'm going to tell you how it is. I don't care. Amen? We're going to be the church. I'm going to preach. We're going to gather. We're going to worship. We're going to teach the full counsel of God's word. We're going to take, we'll go out these doors. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to go to Uganda or wherever else God calls us to go. And we're going to be the bride of Christ. Ain't nobody going to stop that. Nobody. And if anybody wants to try, they can take it up with God. Amen? Whoo. Fire. That's what Uganda does to me, y'all. Just Ezra chapter 5. Here's a copy of the letter that Tataya, the governor of the province beyond the river, and, she hath bo- and we're not going to read all this, but I'm going to read a little bit of this. And Sheath Bozani and associates of the governors who were the province beyond the river sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report, verse 7, which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace, be it known to the king that we were in, went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, is being built with huge stones. Just want you to know the Jews are rebuilding the temple. Watch out. And timber is laid in the walls. I love this expression. And this work goes on diligently. boy, It's about time we work diligently. And it prospers in their hands. Number three. I'm going to be quick. Spiritual blessings Spiritual blessings, I'm talking about prosperity. I'm not talking about like riches and all that kind of stuff and name it, claim it, all that junk. No, I'm not talking about, but spiritual blessings are contingent upon our relationship to God's word. When we obey God's word, guess what? God's will prospers. His will prospers. You can't stop it. No wonder when they put their hand to work, diligence, guess what? They found some fruit of their work. It starts to get accomplished. And the two years it took to build the foundation, they finished the, the whole temple much faster because they were diligently working. I told you before, I, there's, there's some things you could say about me that I wouldn't like, but there's one thing you could say about me that would tick me off. Okay, you ever want to make a preacher mad? Come sit down in my office and tell me I'm lazy. Okay? We may fight. No, Jonathan, David. <sighs> Preacher's kid. Make me bad. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Thankfully, let me back to the point, Jonathan. Thankfully, the Jews put away the laziness and the distraction. And they worked. And God blessed the work. Verse 9, and then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you the decree to build this house and finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information. Like they're, they're brown those, and like they want to give this, this report to Darius and say, oh, they're, they're being mischievous. They're not doing the right thing, right? So we get all their names. We'll make sure to take all the, all the guilty parties that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. Like, what, what is your name? They didn't give names. This is what they replied. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. I'm not going to give you my name. Let's just, just know this. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all you need to know. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not doing this in my name. I'm not doing this for my family's name. We ain't doing this for the church's name. We're doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. Servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built 
and finished. And so he goes on that text and talks about how the first temple was built and then destroyed because of the rebellion and sin of the people. And now and reminds, as the letter goes on, it reminds them, hey, remember how Cyrus allowed this opportunity for us to come back. I'm just going to remind you what it says in history and your predecessor did. And so you need to know, Darius, that you are breaking the law if you don't let us rebuild the temple. Okay? Y'all with me? Say, huh? Number four. Let's talk about this idea of the name. They identify themselves with servants of the Most Lord High. Servants don't govern their own life, but they submit to the sovereign king in all things. Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, listen, it is not your life to live, church. It is not your life to live. You are the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not live for your glory. I do not live for my glory. We live for his. When, when Israel realized that, they were unstoppable because it wasn't about Israel. It was about God. But the moment we make it about anything but God, guess what happens? The work stops. We submit to the sovereign in all things. Now, sometimes we, we struggle with that, like submission, like <laughs> this is hard. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So submitting ourselves to God really frees us from the, from the pull of Satan. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Submit yourself to God then. At the proper time, he may exalt you. But we submit first, we bow first. One of the most awkward things that happened in Uganda, you know about what I'm about to say, I'm sure, is, is we're sitting there as a bunch of us are, gonna, are preaching at these uh, refugee camps and we're sitting against the wall and, and uh, these sweet African women, like, uh, let, me, let me explain to you the church building that we're in. There is a brick walls, you know, and they got the metal roof, and there's mud and brick and cow dung floor. It's like cow dung floor, like concrete smeared and dried out. Cow dung floor. Hot. 98 degrees outside, 120 degrees in the oven called church there. No AC, okay? Hot. I love the cool air this morning. Boof, praise Jesus, right? These women, these women sitting out on the ground, they have a little thing they're sitting on, and they would crawl over to us to shake our hands. Oh, hmm. Some of your husbands are like, like, yeah, you should crawl over to shake my hand, baby. You're like, just kidding. Don't do it. Don't go there. How, listen, I felt so gross. I don't want no to bow to me because we don't bow to each other. We submit and bow to him. That's a couple different times. There were people who heard the gospel through the, the voice of, of Paul the Apostle. I think about one time, Paul the Apostle, and a, a lady tries to bow down, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't bow to me. Submit to him, right? We struggle with that. Number five, not only do we struggle with that God, we struggle with this idea of submitting ourselves to other people too. Not bowing, certainly, because there's nothing biblical about bowing down ladies to men, okay? That's not okay. Amen. Look at my wife. My wife just said, amen. Can I get a witness, right? Amen. But we are to submit to one another out of respect for each other. Verse number five. We really struggle to humble ourselves in submission to others. You find that in Ephesians 5.21, by the way, because we aren't fully submitted or surrendered to Christ. Ephesians 5.21 is a beautiful text. And it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That our submission and respect that we show one another 
is predicated on our submission to God. When we submit ourselves to God and his will, it is easier to respect and submit to one another. Am I right? But when, more important, when it's about me, we don't submit well. We don't submit to God, we certainly don't submit to other people. Now, I'm going to jump to Ezra chapter 6, verse 6. All right? So they send this letter, and the letter gets to Darius, and Darius goes through the archives, and he's figuring out, okay, so there really was this edict, edict of Cyrus that allowed the Jews to come back. I'll be quick now, just give me a few more minutes to wrap this thing up, okay? And so he sends a letter back, okay? And it's a beautiful letter, and I, I really think it's, it's, it's pointed as we look at uh, distractors from the work of God. Verse 6, Ezra chapter 6, verse 6. Now therefore, as Darius writes, Tethani, governor of the province beyond the river, she hath Bozanay, and you are associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river. By the way, these are the ones who are adversaries of the work. You keep away. Keep away from the Jews. Stop bullying. Let God's work continue. I just want to call that to our culture. Stop bullying the church. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father God has given us a task to do. Stop trying to stop it because you can't do it. Let the work on the house of God alone. Let it be. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I, I, I preached this a little bit in Africa. Matthew 16, 18, there's a great moment where Peter gets it right. When Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Peter says, I'm convinced you are the Christ, the Son, the living God. And, 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 and Jesus says, yep, I show is, but God showed you that because you ain't smart enough, Peter, to get that on your own. He said, but on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You know what that statement says? You cannot stop the sovereign will of God. I don't care what you do. You can't stop it. The church, the capital C, the church cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot be stopped. The word of God cannot be silenced. It's impossible. And this Darius writes, he says, stop it, let him be. Let the work of the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on this site. Moreover, I, let's, I'm going to go further. Moreover, I make a decree regarding that you should do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. I'm reminding you what Cyrus says, pay for their project. That's what God does. God flips the script. He says, you want to bully, bully my people? Huh. Now I'm going to make you, you, you actually have to pay my people to accomplish my work. This is the way God works. He flips the script. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, from burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests in Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail. Instead of trying to stop the work, now you actually have to enable the work. You've got to fund the work. You've got to give them everything they need them every single day that they may offer pleasing sacrifice to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, <laughs> I love this. Y'all ever heard that, that, that country song, I pray for you country song, where they pray the, the pot would fall off the windowsill, hit them in the head down below, right? And they, y'all ever, have y'all met that song? It's really not biblical prayer, but anyway, all right? 
This is kind of like that, verse 11. I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it. His house shall be made a dunghill. Like, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, and if, if you stop, listen, if you start getting away again, you, you go get in your house, shut the door, and somebody's going to pull the beam out and let the whole thing come down on you. This is God. May the Lord God who has caused his name to dwell there overflow any king, overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make him a decree. Let it be known with all diligence. And according to the word sent by Darius king tonight, the governor of the province beyond the river, all those people and associates what Darius the king had ordered, and the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered. They built, and they prospered through the prophesying, through the preaching of God's word, of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, and they finished their building. Woo! Yeah. By decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius, Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the house was finished, we'll finish here, on the third day of the month of Adar, Adar, the sixth month of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and Levites, and the rest of the, exile, the returned exiles, they celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And they offered these burnt offerings, and they celebrated that God's will was accomplished. Number six and number seven, back to back. God's glory is at stake. The story is about God's glory. God says, be obedient, because our obedience brings God's glory, right? God's glory is at stake now, just as much as it is in the scriptures. God's glory through our life is at stake just as much now as in the scriptures. Now, we're not adding to scripture. This is in the closed revelation of God's word. We're not we're talking about adding to it, but we are talking about how God wants to walk in our life and use our life to bring him glory. And it's just as important now as it was back in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's just as important now for you to be obedient to God's word as it was for these Jews in Ezra to rebuild the temple. Your life matters. Your obedience matters. These, are, these days matter for God's kingdom. Number seven, what we do, what we say, what we prioritize either declares God's glory or undermines it. This is a, this is a huge moment. Like as we continue in the, in the stories of the next few weeks, Ezra and Nehemiah, this is the moment where, where the Jews have to decide, you know what? And it happens, you have to make decisions over and over again. And you see it in Ezra and Nehemiah. We see it in our own life. It's an everyday decision. But this is one of those fork in the roads where the Jews for a little while say, you know what? We will be obedient to God no matter the cost because we realize our life is not for our glory. Our life is for the glory of God, our creator. It matters more to bring him glory than to bring myself glory. God is passionate about getting glory, and he will not share that glory with anything or anyone. A.W. Tozer says, the glory of God always comes at the sacrifice of self. Packer says this, our high and privileged calling is to do the will of God and the power of God for the glory of God. I've often said this, our theology our view of God and his word, and our view of the gospel is anchored in the sovereignty of God 
and the glory of God. When we understand that, we understand his word more clearly and what he wants for our life better. So let me ask this. I'm going to wrap this bad boy up, land the plane. We did a lot of landing planes yesterday, didn't we? Is there something God's called you to do? And you know it. Maybe it's clearly in his word or you've been prompted through his spirit that you have delayed and you've put off for a number of reasons that God is whispering to you this morning, stop delaying, be obedient. I will bless your obedience. It's time to get back to work. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this morning, I pray that the preaching of your word was faithful to the text, faithful to your heart, faithful to the gospel. Lord, today that you would use that or draw us to obedience to you. Or our enemies on the outside, the culture, and Lord, sometimes that enemy creeps into the church and distraction that keeps us from being obedient followers of Christ. Lord, we repent of that this morning. During our time of commitment this morning, Lord, lead us to repentance the times we were distracted by other things. Lord, help us to pick up our trowel. Lord, to pick up our, our, our shovel. To pick up our obedience to what you've called us to do and, and, and to do it. Regardless of what other things, regardless of what people say, regardless of what the world looks at or says about us, would help us be obedient to that. Lord, today, if there's anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, so they've heard the gospel, Lord, through the preaching of your word, that we are all insufficient sinners. Father, we have, we have corrupted your holy name. We have attempted to thwart your glory. As a result of that, we are lost in desperate need of Christ. Lord, lead us to repentance, Lord. If there's anyone here who's lost, Lord, lead them to repentance, Lord, and to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Lord, build your church today. Build your kingdom today. Change your church today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with